Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. Find your sermon outline in your bulletin, please. And let's turn to, to our Bibles, to the book of Isaiah, please. Isaiah 58. Now, if you use that book rack Bible, that's on page 1152, Isaiah 58. Shine the light. During the Advent season, we've been learning about the light of the world. Jesus made an exclusive claim. He said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus made an exclusive claim about his followers too. It's a familiar text. We'll put a couple scriptures on the screen as you're settling into Isaiah 58 there. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world, Jesus said. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The New Testament, the Apostle Paul continues alongside of this theme when he exhorts the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, we are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So much about our relationship with the Lord is captured in this picture of light and that it is the light of Jesus Christ. And he has come into the world, he is the light of the world, and he says, so we now are the light of the world. Now so far in this series, we've looked at by God's grace, we see the light By God's grace, we seek the light. We keep coming into the light. And today we're going to learn that by God's grace, we are to shine his light. Shine the light. Say that with me. Shine the light. The reality is this. There's so much darkness in the world. Isn't there? Darkness everywhere. And the darkness tries to overcome. But the light shines forth. And we are the light of the world. Praise God for that. Now here in Isaiah 58, we come to a period of Israel's history, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, so just a little reminder, this was a very dark time in Israel's history. The prophet Isaiah is warning uh, the southern kingdom, this kingdom of Judah, that there's going to be a judgment coming, and while it looked like it was going to be Assyria, it would actually be Babylon who would be coming in and taking over, and the people would be exiled, and it is a very, very dark time, and Isaiah is reminding the people as to why they have no longer been the light that God had called them to be. And yet in this passage of Isaiah 58 that really centers in on the issue of justice for the oppressed and and shining our light in love and good deeds to others, Israel had fallen from that. They become consumed with themselves. And even though we are now under the new covenant where our righteousness isn't dependent on the things that we do, the righteousness of Christ has been put over our lives. Praise God that through faith we can come into a personal relationship with God and experience his righteousness as a gift, not in the works that we do. Yet, nevertheless, God calls us to be his light, to represent him. And there are some parallels I think we can see in the book of Isaiah here in chapter 58 as to why sometimes our light doesn't shine the way we want it to. And then we're going to look in this chapter and we're going to see a couple of reasons why our light doesn't shine the way it ought to. And then when it does shine, the difference it makes. Let's follow along in just 14 verses. Um, So let me just read it and follow along. 
Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of justice and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise, raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hmm. Just a couple of things to point out before we hop into the teaching of this text. I want you to notice the words then in this text. Maybe you saw it as we read through. You'll see the first one in verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Look at verse 9, then you will call and the Lord will answer. Verse 10, middle of the verse, then your light will rise in the darkness. And then down in verse 14, then you will find your joy in the Lord. The word then is an important piece of this text because it reminds us as we read it that there's something that's missing and something that needs to come in. Something needs change in our lives. And if it changes, then, then there's a different day. And maybe there's a reminder to all of us in terms of shining our light today that maybe there's some stuff that's missing in our lives. And maybe there's some changes that need to be made because when those changes are made, then there'll be a different world, a different life, a different experience. Let's just go back and break it apart a couple of places here, a couple movements in the 
text. First of all, I'm going to suggest to you that to shine the light, God must sometimes get our attention. There's something here about attention. I want you to write that down. Because God loves to get his people's attention. In the opening verse of this chapter, we see the urgency of God wanting the people's attention. Shout, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people. These are all command force words that the prophet Isaiah uses to help people see that they need to see and hear from God. We need to hear from God. And any of you that have worked with children in your life, you know, you know that there's times where you've got to say, hey, settle down. Stop. Listen up. Sometimes I hang out with our youth ministry, and I've had the privilege of being in there a few times. And yeah, kids just go crazy, and youth leaders have to kind of corral them back in. This is true in our lives, too. We kind of get a little out of ourselves. And here the prophet Isaiah, God is saying to the prophet Isaiah, shout it aloud, don't hold back, get their attention. I want them to hear something, I want them to see something. Now I'm going to suggest in verses 1 through 5 that God may need us to see that despite our seeming eagerness to shine for him, there might be something missing in our lives. There might be, he might be seeing something a little different. For example, verse 1, he might observe some rebellion in our lives. And I've written in my notes that we can't shine our light when we choose to dwell in darkness. You know, a lot of us are eager to shine the light of God, but we're making choices in our lives to live in darkness or to participate in the deeds of darkness. We've got some things going in our lives that we know are not right with God, but boy, we're so eager to follow the Lord, aren't we? And here, just like in the prophet Isaiah's day, we learn that God sometimes is going to shout into our lives. He's going to get our attention. And notice in verse 1 where the prophet says, God says to tell the people, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Sometimes God wants, us to, be, wants to remind us that we're a sinful people. We need to stay in a place of humility before God. Before we can shine our light, we need to choose to live in the light. We need to keep seeking the light. Once we have seen the light, we seek the light so that we can shine the light. And God sees whatever's going on in our lives. And he might see today, even though a fair amount of eagerness to do what is right, he might see some rebellion. And just as you're thinking about this today, it, just, it, it catches me. Just in your notes or in your thoughts, where is it in your life where there's a compromise going on today? It might be a moral compromise. It might be a, a compromise of attitude. It might be a, a sense of, well, I'm okay when I come to church, but when I'm off into my community, when I'm at work, I'm just a different person. People don't see the love of Christ in my life. I get angry. I get demanding. The people around me don't see the love of Jesus. I want the Spirit of God to have the freedom this morning to speak into our lives where there's, where there's just a one-off. We're not really walking in the ways we ought to be walking. Because until we see that, until we get recognition of that, it's pretty hard to let the light shine in our lives. I notice also in verses 2 and 3 and verse 5 that God sometimes observes that we're just going through motions. Follow along in verse 2. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. Uh, sometimes we find ourselves doing rituals instead of investing in relationship. And I know a lot of people that come out of religious backgrounds. This woman I talked to last night was a prime example of that. A person who had become very accustomed to the ritual 
but didn't have a relationship. We can be so ritualistic. Even in the church, even people that follow Christ, this can become ritual. What we do can become ritual. I talked to a young man this week, a very uh, a young man that I have great respect for, and he hasn't been around much, and so I just, the Lord has been putting him on my heart, so I called him, we had a cup of coffee, we sat down and talked, and he said, you know, here's the deal. He goes, to be honest, he goes, I got so involved at Neighborhood Church, he was in our worship team, he was uh, playing his musical instrument, I got so involved that suddenly, over, well, actually over time, I began to drift, and so that, my, my service became my identity. What I was doing became my identity, and I realized that was wrong. And so he's actually doing some mid-course correction. He's trying to let the Spirit of God do some rebuilding in his life. And he's actually afraid to just come back into the body because we're always so, hey, we need you to do this, we need you to do that. Can you get over here and do this? And there's nothing wrong. We need an army of people. We need a lot of workers. Thank God for all of you that are serving and working, but it's a good reminder today for all of us that sometimes our service can actually, if we're not careful, become the thing that we identify with the most. And that becomes just like a ritual or a person that only goes to a church and lights a candle or sits in a, in a seat and says and repeats things and does things and up and down and there's no relationship with the living God. I'm just following through. I'm just doing the stuff that I normally do. And I've got a lot of Catholic friends, by the way. I've got people that uh, associate with the Catholic Church, and for many of them, it's really all about the ritual. And when I talk about my relationship with God, I feel like I'm, I, like it's just going into the dark. They don't even see it, some of them. And yet, it's true that it can be just as true for some of us, where we get so involved in what we're doing, we forget. It's like where Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, I have this one thing against you. You've what? You've left your first love. Boy, you can serve, you can be involved, you can be doing all kinds of stuff, but you cannot really be having the relationship God has for you. So I don't know where you are this morning. I know this is kind of heavy stuff. This doesn't feel very Christmassy right now. But you know, this is the word of God. This is what God tells us. He says, we need to sit under and say, what is it in my life where I've gotten off, where I'm not on the right track? Because here were some people that were saying, we think we are eager for the Lord. Look at all this stuff we're doing for him. But our hearts are not in it. God sees what's in our hearts. And he knows what's missing in our lives. He might see rebellion. He might see that we're just in ritual. Let me show you a third thing. He may see some hypocrisy in our lives. He says in verse 3, he says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as, your please, as you please. The only command for fasting at this point in Israel's history, believe it or not, was the fast on the day of atonement. We learned that in the book of Leviticus. That was the only fast that was required. And so there were some people that were taking a little bit further, and they were fasting on other days, but the prophet says, God says through the prophet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. As you please, instead of it being a time where you hyper-focus on the work of God and the special things that God wants to be doing in our lives, we just do the things that we want to do. And we expect God to kind of come alongside. In fact, in verse 3, it goes on to say, you exploit all your workers. Uh, uh, you, you disguise uh, your ritual with personal agenda. 
And in fact, he says in verse 4, eventually you even have outbreaks of violence. There's verbal and even physical outbreaks that take place among the people of God. And this is wrong. You know, when we fight in the church, the world looks at us and says, no thank you, right? But that's the way it is. Sometimes people see, they observe our attitudes with each other. They observe the things we think about each other. And that's why we have to be, we have to work uber hard on continuing to love each other. Even when the, we, we are prickly, we don't always uh, see each other the same way, the way God sees us. We don't always treat each other the way we ought to be treated. We don't always love like we ought to love. And beloved, I just, wow, I, there are things in my mind right now that I think as the body of Christ, we have to be super careful that we display to one another and to a watching world that we love each other, that whenever we fast, whatever ritual we're going through in a spiritual discipline in our lives, it's because we want to fine-tune our love relationship with God so that we can love others more effectively, so that we can share with more passion in our lives. God, the first thing that God wants to do is he wants us to get, he wants us to have his attention. He, he wants our attention. He wants us to see him, hear him, and know what's going on in our lives. So here's the first question this morning. Does God have your attention? Are you listening? Are you saying God? And I don't know, maybe God's brought circumstances in your life recently where you're going, okay, 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 okay. God sometimes allows difficult things in our lives, not because he wants to punish, but because he wants to get our attention. Recently, I had someone tell me, they went through a really tough situation. They said, I'll tell you what, I was floating along, but God has my attention now. You know, God is a merciful God. He does that. He's a father that says, sometimes I'm going to make life a little difficult so that you'll get your eyes on me. And sometimes when our lives are difficult, we think God doesn't love us. And the enemy comes along and says, look, God doesn't care about you. And the whole point is that God does care about you. And he's allowing you to get pressed so that you'll turn your heart back to him. This is a beautiful thing. It's called repentance. It's saying, I, Lord, I'm going the wrong way in my life. And there's, in a crowd this size, all of us need to repent of stuff in our lives. I do, you do too. And there should be a constant dialogue with God about the stuff that's not right. God, man, thank you for showing me that. Lord, my attitude there, eh, not good. Lord, I've judged this person. Lord, I've thrown this person under the bus. Lord, so here I am. I'm in church today. I'm worshiping God. But God drills down and he sees what's in our hearts this morning, doesn't he? And he sees whether it's just ritual and formality and outward. I mean, we're just here because it's Sunday morning at, you know, 915 and so that's why we're here. Instead of, God, I need to meet with you today. Lord, what is the word you have for me today? God, I need to sit before your word and I need to get under your authority in my life. And I need to stop the charade and stop the faking and stop the hypocrisy and stop the rebellion and stop all that stuff because, God, you love me and, and you still want me. And that's the beautiful thing of the gospel, isn't it? The gospel says that even though we don't deserve God's love, he still ex extends it to us. And he still welcomes us in. Once we come to Christ by faith, we eternally belong to him. And no matter how much we wander, no matter how much we get off track, if we belong to him, he's going to keep coming after us, coming after us, and doing things in our lives to cause us to see that we need him more than anything else. And so whatever's going on in your life today where you feel like you're getting shaken up, 
Just thank God that he loves you enough to be shaken up and that you can see his love in the midst of it. The second thing, to shine God's light, not only does God want to give our, get our attention, but God must also, number two, guide our affections. Say that with me. He must guide our affections. And I see this in verses 6, 7, and 10. And there's just a couple of big things here, but these are big, big, big things. Uh, the first thing I see here in verse 6 is that he wants us to care more about social justice. Now, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm not a big social justice guy. I've learned a lot and I've seen a lot and I'm just kind of growing in this in my life. But as I read this passage, when I look back at verse 6 again, is, this the kind, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? I mean, there's a ton of injustice in our world, and this translated in Isaiah's day into the way people treated their employees. I mean, there was a, there was a big dimension of the economy involved in this, and as we look around at our world, we see this in pockets in our community, in our culture. We see it in sex trafficking and, and people trafficking. We see it in the injustice of regimes around the world that are, that are carrying out atrocities. I mean, the, the list is endless There is injustice on every corner, everywhere we turn. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we doing about it? And the easiest thing to do probably is to throw a few dollars in an offering plate and say, let someone else deal with all that stuff. But somehow we got to find some way, you know, to connect. Maybe it's praying through ministries that you know are infecting and, and doing a work in the area of social injustice praying for ministries, coming alongside of. Maybe it's funding. Maybe it's offering some sort of resource. And there's a friend of mine. He's one of our ushers. And just Friday night we were together, and he was sharing with me that his life, he grew up in the projects of San Francisco, a Hunter's Point, terrible living conditions, cycles of poverty. And, and he you know, came to Christ later in life, and it has been his passion to go back into those projects and with a few other people. And he said, he described the uphill climb, the challenge it has been to go into this area of San Francisco, Hunter's Point, and bring a few people into an area where literally you can be walking through the quad of the apartments and just be shot and killed. I mean, this is the world of the projects. And most of us are very insulated. We're far away from that kind of an experience. But as I was listening to him and those that were together listening to his story, it moved us. I mean, what, what could we do? What, what is it that we could do? Uh, he's been talking to churches in the area over there that, that are, you know, within a, a reach of these projects and could they start some kind of program, uh, uh, start uh, you know, tutoring children or providing some resources this way? And, and, and the churches have been really flat, not really wanting to get involved. And this is frustrating to him. And if you, if you get concerned about social justice, it's not long before you get frustrated. Because nobody seems to see the things that you see. And I guess I'd have to admit and just go on record in saying that I need more of his heart. I need more of Randolph's heart in my life. Because it's so easy just to go, that's, that's not in my realm. Maybe I'd go live over there for a week and let it be my realm. I don't know. I mean, just what, where are we putting some touch on a world of injustice? Remember the book of Micah, the prophet Micah. Let's just say this out loud. Let's read Micah 6, 8. 
Ready? Here we go. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Isn't that good? Now, most of us know that verse. We've quoted it. We learned it in Sunday school. But that's about breaking the oppressive cycle that is around us. And there are so many people that are trapped. Trapped. It's practical for all of us. How do we do business? How do we treat our employees? God cares about all this. How do we look at the poor? How do we look at those who don't have the things that we have? God wants us to have a heart for that. He wants us to care more. Secondly, he wants us to not only care about social justice, he wants us to care more about those in need. Verses 7 and 10, look at that. Um, is, is it not to share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Then you will see, the na- when you see the naked, clothe him and so forth. Food, shelter, clothing. Not turning our back on our own flesh and blood. This is all eerily familiar to what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 25. Remember that? Let's go, back, let's go over to Matthew 25. This is really telling and it's a great reminder to us. Matthew 25. This is a picture of the judgment, the sheep and the goats. And in Matthew 25, verse 34, Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now watch, look, look at the, the criteria for those that were in the kingdom. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. You know, we have a lot of friends around our ministry who come from very difficult backgrounds. We have a ministry called Cross Streets that works with homeless, but not just homeless, people that are just having a tough way in life. And sometimes, and not as often as we would like, but sometimes those folks filter into our ministries and we love to have them. But sometimes, I know stories personally, that sometimes when they come into the larger framework of our church and ministry, where they are just loved on by people who, who get up early and they make food and they go out on the streets and they care for them and they minister to them, and, and, and then they come into our living room here, and sometimes they get the brush. Sometimes well-meaning people don't love and show hospitality the way we would to our own family. And this is a reminder to us. Remember the book of James? If someone comes in in tattered clothing and you say, go sit over here, that's not right. We as a church have a responsibility to all of our brothers and sisters, no matter what socioeconomic background they have. You know, one of our Cross Streets people died this last week in Hayward, just died because it was too cold. All of us were probably in a bed somewhere pretty warm. Wow, I, I know, Lord, I've been praying. I said, Lord, I don't want this to be this, you know, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just saying sometimes we're a little too comfortable. I'm a little too comfortable in the, in the ease of my life. And it's a chapter like Isaiah 58 that kind of rattles my cage a little bit and says, you know, you got you to gotta wake up, smell the coffee a little bit here. 
There's needs. There are people around us that need to be loved as people. They're people. And praise God, when you see people in our church, and, and I, we realize there are sometimes that people come in, doesn't matter what socioeconomic background there are, there are some people that want to just kind of disrupt. There are people that want to just do wrong things. And so our security team sometimes is in a bit of a quandary and trying to figure out where a person is and what they're doing and that kind of thing. Thank the Lord for our wonderful security teams. But let's not forget that every person that ever comes on this campus is a person created in the image of God who needs the love of Jesus Christ. And and let that just be I pray, and this is a beautiful, loving church, and that's why I feel like I can exhort you without this big guilt trip, because I think there's a great, beautiful thing that happens in our church all the time, but we are not so far uh, advanced that we can't use the healthy reminder from God's word that every person at every moment needs to be treated with dignity and love and respect. And that's what we ought to be. And if that's the reputation of this church, then, you know, frankly, Uh, we'll have to add a lot more services because there's just not enough people that know about that and probably haven't experienced it enough to where the, the word could really, really get out. So let's love each other, care for each other, reach out to each other. Now, what happens, let's talk about the then in all these passages. Verse eight, verse nine, back to Isaiah 58 here. How are we doing on time? Okay, well, we've got just a few minutes. Okay, a couple things here. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 14, the then, 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 then. Let's look at the beautiful thing that happens. Here's what happens. When we shine the light, God's going to assure us of some beautiful things. He's going to assure us. And I need these assurances, and so do you. Number one, uh, the Lord will answer our prayers. Do you see that in verse 9? I love this. Then, the, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. He will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. So not only will he answer our prayers, not always in our time, not always according to our wishes, but always for his glory and our good. Amen? Not only will the Lord answer our prayers, but number two, the Lord will hear us and be with us. The Lord will hear us and be with us. God not only promises to answer, but he assures us that he has heard our cry. You know, this kind of hit me because there's stuff in my life that I, I, I just don't see God answering my prayer. Has anybody else had that experience? You're praying for something, just nothing seems to be happening. And this blessed me when I understood that God says, listen, I want you to know something. I'll answer it in my time, but here's something even more dynamic for this moment. I've heard your cry. That's beautiful. Because as long as God has heard my cry, I can leave it with him. I can have assurance that God has heard me. I talk to people all the time that say, I pray, but I don't think God's listening. Well, guess what? According to this passage, when we shine the light, when we live within truth and integrity in our lives, when we care about the oppressed, when we reach out to the needy, God says, I hear what you're saying. I hear your heart. Number three, God will guide us. Look at verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. It's beautiful. Not sure where to go next. God promises his guidance. His word guides us. His Holy Spirit guides us, John 16, 13. His wisdom guides us, Proverbs 4, 11. Not only that, number four, the Lord will satisfy our needs and strengthen us. We see that in verse 11b. 
He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. I love what Psalm 23, 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When God strengthens our frame, it's a picture of stability of what's ahead. This is the prayer of God's people through the ages. Paul prayed it this way in Ephesians 3.16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being. Number five, the Lord will refresh us. The Lord will refresh us. See that in verse 11c. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You need refreshment in your life. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. That's a beautiful reminder. God wants to refresh us. He wants to bring refreshment into our lives. A perennial fount of God's provision. Number six, what the Lord, what the Lord has allowed in our lives to be broken, he will restore. The Lord will restore what is broken, verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will rise up the age-old foundations. I love the title he gives to his people. Remember, they're going to go into exile, but they're going to come out, and they will be known as the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. That should be what we are known for as believers in Christ, repairers of broken walls. Any broken walls in your life? You know anybody around you that's got some broken down walls? What if we had the reputation that by God's grace and strength, we are restorers? We are those that Build the walls. Number seven, the Lord will give us joy in our spiritual prosperity. Verse 14, then you will find the joy of the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. Joy, joy, joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. There should be a joy in our hearts when there's a a true resonance of the light shining in our lives. And how can, we, how can we be assured of all these things? Look at verse 14. I just, this touched me and I hope it touches you too. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is like God saying, you know what? Take this to the bank. You know, I tease people sometimes. I say, if you don't believe me, ask me. I say that to people sometimes. That's a ridiculous, you know, it's an it's a illogical argument. But when God says, if you don't believe me, hear what I say. That's like a promise that you can just put in gold around your life. By God's grace, we see the light. By God's grace, we seek the light. And by God's grace, we what? Shine the light. Let's pray. Lord, kind of some heavy stuff here today, Lord, but thank you for your word. Very pertinent for our lives, our church And Lord, I pray that all of our hearts feel heavy today for the world and for those around us. But in that heaviness, dear Lord, we say, God, give us the grace to repent of anything that clouds or diminishes the light from shining through our lives. And we ask this morning, Lord, that you would allow us by your grace to repent to forsake 
anything that is hindering our walk with you and that together, dear Lord, we might see your loving hand break through the areas of our lives and restore us where needed so that we can be the restorer and the rebuilders of broken walls. We ask for this, Lord, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that in all that has taken place during this Advent season and continuing forward, Lord, that we can be a church and a people that reflect these truths to a world that lives in darkness. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. And this morning, Lord, if you brought someone to this service that needs a a new walk with you or needs to know you personally, then by your grace, Lord, do your work, even in these closing moments as we respond, as we worship you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would hear our cry as you promised here, Lord, that we would be assured that as we call upon you, you will hear. Just before I finish my prayer, if this morning the Lord has brought you to this service and you need a relationship with the living Christ, wait no longer. Place your life in his hands. Admitting as a sinner you need a savior. Asking him to cleanse you and forgive you of all sin. And inviting him to come in and take residence in your life. And he will. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, may our response be sweet to you as we sing songs, as we worship, as we allow your spirit to just massage these points in our hearts. For we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.